Okay. All right. God is good, isn't he? And all the time, God is good. Praise the Lord. If you got a Bible, go to the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah. Our boy, we're going to keep on talking about our boy Nehemiah this morning. I'm glad you guys are all here. I'm glad those that are joining us online. Thank you. I know a lot of people are on vacation today. And How many just got back from vacation this week? Anybody? One of you? Okay, that's good. Well, hopefully you're rested and relaxed. That's good. We just got back last week, 20-hour drive, and it was a good time. So uh, we, we've been playing catch-up this week. But how many still have a vacation to go to? You're looking forward to it. A few of you? All right, amen. He's excited. He's ready to go today. All right. God is great, man, and he's good, and uh, again, thank you, JC, for, for bringing some of those announcements, and um, you know, you talk about the project, we are, you know, the building's out there, and they're still working on, on finishing aspects in here, and like I said last week, be prepared, in the next, in the next month or so, uh, we're going to be sending out some messages for some, some work days, we're putting some decor and some different things in here, we'll be painting, we got to move a lot of stuff around and shuffle some things around for the room so we could use some some good help in those kinds of things, and uh, we'd appreciate that. Um, uh, also, in the bulletin, if you've got a prayer request, guys, you can tear that off. If you missed our, our, our first impressions table and you're a guest with us this morning, we'd love to, to have your information and contact you this week, uh, but, but you can fill that out and put them in the joy boxes, and don't forget to give. That's uh, very important. You can give via our QR code. It's in the bulletin. The joy box is in the back, and we're still raising funds. We're, we're getting there, gang, for this growing into the, uh, our future project that's going on. Um, I don't have the exact figure. I wasn't, I, my, my laptop's in the is being worked on right now, so I couldn't get into that uh, on my laptop, but I know we're, we're getting in there. We're trying to raise $25,000 uh, to furnish and to, to, to complete the task, and so we've been asking if, if a families, what was it, 100 families could give $250 over like six, seven months, you know, we'd be there, and you could break that up into $30 here, $50 here, whatever you want to do, or just or whatever the Lord leads on your heart to give, if you would invest and support, that would be great. Sound cool? Because we're getting there, man. We're getting there. And we can't wait till we can have a big celebration when it's all completed and it's all great. Hey, join me in prayer real quick. I want to pray. For, I want to mention a couple of ladies in prayer uh, that's, that's uh, a part of Oso Creek. Lord, we just come before you. And, and Lord, we pray for Mary Dubberly and we pray for Judy McCall, Lord, as they are uh, recovering. And, and um, for Aunt Kay of the Ronowski family, Lord, as they've had surgeries this week, Lord. Uh, and, and, and they've been in the hospital, and just pray for healing and restoration, and you would give them strength, God, as they recover. Watch over those that are traveling back from vacation, and just uh, keep them safe. And, and Lord, speak to us this morning from your word, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Give somebody next to you a high five, okay? Make me feel better about myself. Just kidding. <laughs> High five. It's good. All right. Hey, uh, Priscilla uh, Brago brought in a box of Our Daily Bread devotionals for uh, June, July, and August. If you've never had an Our Daily Bread, these, this is one of my favorite devotionals. But she brought them in, and they're in the little table in the lobby. Please take one if, if you'd like one. They're, if you're not familiar with Our Daily Bread devotionals, they are really good. I like them. I like them. I like them. All right. So after a two-week break, because uh, we were on vacation, then there's Father's Day, I'm going to pick back up on our 
uh, series, The Power of a Godly Vision, uh, based on the book and character of Nehemiah in the Old Testament. And, you know, we've been talking about vision here, and I, I sent out a little devotional uh, a few weeks ago, and a lot of times when, when a, a minister or a preacher talks, or somebody talks about visions and God-given visions for our lives, a lot of times we can think, oh man, he's just talking about these grandiose things, these huge things, these big things, and... I don't think that's ever going to be me, you know, and that's the farthest thing from the truth because God can give us a vision and we should have a vision for our marriage. Uh, If you're married, if you're not married yet, you should have a vision for your future spouse, for your families. We should have a vision for our families. We should have a vision for business, for if you play sports, if if your vision for your church, all kinds of things like that. Uh, Visions can be big, they can be small, they can be every day, they can be something like I've mentioned Agape Ranch or the Ecuador team or missionaries that start missions or an orphanage that start and these great big things and it can also be raising godly kids or, or being that, that godly person in the workplace. Um, I was just talking to, to Tina and I, th- I think she's probably changing, um, but, but she's really into MMA and cage fighting. Can you believe that? I mean that... That, that, she's not only a lawyer, but she's like, ah, 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 you know what I mean? Get a little burrito in there, you know, or a chalito or whatever it's called. Off the top rope. But actually, she told me today that she's actually in cage fighting. It's not just the rope. She'll like hang on the cage and do a flip off and then bam, you know, that kind of thing. But anyway, but she told me that that whole, that whole genre is very evil and there's so much Satanism in that. She's, she knows all these fighters and stuff. She goes, it's a very dark world. And she goes, I've tried to get out of it, but God said, no, you need to be the light. You need to shine the light in there. And so she has a vision to shine God's light in that dark world. So visions from God, man, are very personal, very intimate, and they come in all kinds of forms and fashions. And so we're, we're, we're picking that up today with what I call the waiting game, the waiting game. Um, quite a few years ago, actually a couple of decades ago, there was a very prominent minister. Um, everybody in America and most, a lot over the world knew who this minister was, but he was found guilty of misappropriating funds in a gross manner, and he was sentenced to prison. While in prison, you know, he, he had a come to Jesus moment. You know, he was a minister, but he had a, another come to Jesus moment. <laughs> and he repented and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and he wrote a book and, and detailing kind of where he went wrong and all that kind of stuff. But, but in his book, he describes the terrible depression that he went through in prison and how he pulled out of it. Um, and part of this guy's depression stemmed from the fact that he was facing 45 years in, in jail a 45-year sentence. And so from his perspective at the very beginning, he was facing 45 pointless, fruitless, and to him, wasted time. And then at first, you know, it really bothered him and really got on to him, but, but he had a, a good pastor friend who wrote him a letter which contained a sentence that turned his attitude and, and, and his life around. And his friend wrote, Waiting time will not be wasted time. 
Waiting time won't be wasted time. And at first it was hard for this former pastor minister to accept. But as, as he began you know, praying and, and, and going through things, he finally gradually came to accept it and he saw just how true it was that waiting time wasn't wasted time. And many times I think we can feel like this pastor or this minister, okay, and we can find ourselves in situations in life, you know, maybe we've been praying about something, God's placed something on our heart, you know, we have a burden, we have a drive, we have a desire, or there's some situation going on, some circumstance that's happening, but we don't see God moving, we don't have any answers, and yet we pray and pray, and, and so sometimes we may feel like, you know, these, these years where I currently am in right now, they are wasting years because it doesn't seem like anything is happening. And that might describe you here this morning, or, or you watching right now online. You know, the, that could be your attitude in life right now. Well, listen, this message is going to be good news for you today because waiting is not wasting, okay? Waiting is not wasting. What we fail to realize, and I just mentioned this three weeks ago in my, my last message in this series, what we fail to realize that as kids of our Heavenly Father, when we are seeking his will in our lives and trying to do what he wants us to do, there's always a time of preparation. There's always a season where God wants to prepare us for what he has for us, okay? I mean, and, and if we look in the Bible and you're a student of the Bible, you'll see there's so many biblical examples of characters that, are, that we see, that they, they find themselves in this, the waiting game, okay? Waiting on God's directive, waiting for God's move, waiting for his path, okay? And those times of waiting, it's never a wasting game with the Lord, okay? It's never a time of, of wasting moments or seconds or any part of life when it comes to God. And so we learned with our introductory messages on our character Nehemiah that Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king of Persia. This was a huge deal, okay? A lot of responsibility. He was literally like the, the chief of staff. He was like the number two man, okay? And, and for, for decades, the, the children of Israel, the children of God, the Israelites, they had been, you know, they had been captured by Babylon. They had been hauled off to Babylon because they had fallen into idolatry, they had rejected the Lord, they had rebelled against him, so God was like, enough, you know, I'm going to send you through some horrible punishment and discipline, um, and, 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 and you'll learn from that and repent. Well, the Persian Empire defeated the Babylonian army, and they, they took over, and, and the king of Persia finally let a remnant of Jewish exiles go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the city, okay? And so as Nehemiah is in the, the offices of the king. He knew that a remnant of his brethren, that, that they were allowed to go to, you know, to leave the foreign land, go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the city, okay? And, and when we see this Old Testament book, the very first chapter, we see that his bro, Hanani, and some friends, you know, they traveled a long distance from Jerusalem, a, a long path, a long journey, okay, to come back to the province of Persia. Like I said last week, we drove 20 hours straight from northern Kentucky, Cincinnati, all the way here. It was a long drive, but it was all right. It wasn't that bad. That didn't even compare to what Nehemiah's brother and his traveling companions went through. It was a long path back to the province of Persia. And so Nehemiah asked how things were back home. And, and, and if you recall, we talked about how the news fell hard on Nehemiah's ears. It was the, the worst possible news 
His brother's like, everyone there, bro, everyone there's in great trouble and, and great shame and the walls are all destroyed. Rocks are laying on top of rocks. The walls that were up that would provided safety and protection for everybody, they're torn down. And the gates of the city, the mighty gates, the beautiful gates, they're all burned down. They're all still burned down. So Nehemiah knew exactly what that meant. No safety, no protection, no dignity. And this crushed our boy Nehemiah. So I want to pick up verses 4 through 11 in Nehemiah chapter 1. We spent like three weeks on the first three verses, so I want to pick it up right here. So Nehemiah says, as soon as I heard these words about the condition of the city of Jerusalem and his, uh, you know, hometown people, of course, he was not born there. He was born in Babylon, but his nationality said, I sat down and I wept and mourned for days and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, oh Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We've acted very corruptly against you. We've not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I've chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you've redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today. And he's talking about himself right here. And grant him mercy in the sight of this man, talking about the king of Persia. Now I was cupbearer to the king. What a prayer. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna dissect that and unpack that more next week. But when Nehemiah learned about the condition of his brethren and the city of Jerusalem, Man, he didn't just immediately quit his job as the king's official and head down to Jerusalem without a plan. Like, are you serious, Hananiah? That's what's going on? Hey, king of Persia, I'm out of here, dude. I gotta go take care of business. See ya. No, first off, that wouldn't have been very smart. Secondly, he knew that he would have needed the king's favor to get what he needed to happen accomplished. And thirdly, his present circumstances and his situation wouldn't allow it. The timing wasn't right. He needed God to do some working in the background. He needed God to do some miracles, okay? And in the meantime, God had Nehemiah enter into the waiting period. The waiting period. That's a period that as believers, we don't like, right? Well, we, 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 we live in instant society, right? I mean, you can make instant rice, instant oatmeal, instant grits. Anybody like a good instant grit? I do, it's pretty good. Yeah? This little section right here must be from the South. No, I don't know. <laughs> you go to, you know, my goodness, I went to a fast food place last night and I stood there at the line. I was nobody in the whole place. I mean, it was just me and the workers. And I stood there 
And I stood there, and I stood there, and I stood there at the counter. Finally, this guy in the drive-thru goes, hey, dude, you have a mobile order? And I'm like, no, I want to order, order. You know what I mean? But I was like, where's everybody at? We don't like waiting, do we? I, I was very kind. I was like smiling, and I was going to get some free fries, so I didn't want to make them mad. But anyway, <laughs> we don't like to wait, do we? Who loves going to the dentist or the doctor's office and you sat there for like 40 minutes waiting to be called? Do we love going to the Bureau of Motor Vehicles to renew our license or anything like that? We don't like to wait. We live in a society now to where it's like, man, we're rolling, we're rolling. Man, who loves to wait for your phone to charge? I mean, that just frustrates me. You get down and all of a sudden I get a notification on my Android which is awesome because it lets me know my phone's running low and, and then, so I'll plug it in and I'm like, okay, I'll come back. I'm like, ah, oh, it's only at 5%. Come on, I've been letting it charge for 15 minutes. We don't like to wait for our phone to charge. We don't like to wait for food. We, we live in an instant society, all right? We don't like the waiting period, especially spiritually, when we feel a burden from the Lord or a vision that God's given us or you know, we're praying about a need, we're praying for something and it doesn't seem like anything's happening, we don't like that period of waiting, that dreaded period of time where you just can't move ahead because maybe your circumstances don't allow it, maybe the finances aren't there, maybe your present job you know, doesn't give you the flexibility, everyone says you might need more experience, your family responsibilities leave you no free time, your children are, aren't where they need to be, just kind of like Nehemiah, the timing wasn't right, okay? For him to just to rush in and, and help his brethren, okay? But again, what we must recognize is that this, this waiting time, like I said at the beginning, it's not wasted time when it comes to God and when it comes to God's work. When it comes to God and his work in our lives, this waiting period, it's not wasted time. For anyone who has begun to see their, their God-given vision birthed in their lives. Sure, the waiting period, and I've been there, gang. Trust me, I know what the waiting period's all about. Firsthand, many times in my life, okay? The, the waiting time may be difficult. It may be painful. It may be frustrating. It may be challenging, thought-provoking, but it's never wasted, it's never wasted moments, it's never wasted days, it's never wasted time. And I know we feel that way. Sometimes we, we, we might be in that waiting period right now and we're like, Lord, we're wasting time. These things have to be done. My kids need salvation. My marriage needs to be healed. All kinds of things and scenarios I can put in there. The time to start the business is now, Lord. The time to start that ministry is now. We're wasting time down here, God, Okay. You might be in that time, and you may be singing, you know, I'm going to steal a song from, from the old great band Foreigner, okay? I've been waiting for the Lord to move. You know what I'm saying? But they, they, I've been waiting. I forget that. Yeah, that's right. For the Lord to move. There's a little Bee Gees in there. I don't know if you heard that. <laughs> a little, a little uh, Barry Gibb in there, but uh, <laughs> that's okay. Uh, that was a little Michael Jackson. No, that's all right. You might be there, right? Where you're like, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Lord, I, I feel the burden. I see the need. I've been praying about this, God. Where are you, Lord? Right? 
Listen, when our boy Nehemiah heard about the situation in Jerusalem, he couldn't do anything to correct it right away. He was in the wrong place, the wrong time, in the wrong job, working for the wrong guy for this task, for this vision that God placed on his heart. But God would use all that to help him accomplish the vision, okay? It seems like Nehemiah wasn't free to act on his God-given vision of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. It was going to take four months, gang, four months until Nehemiah could begin this vision that God places his heart, on his heart. Four months of waiting. But the time between hearing about the condition of Jerusalem and finally being able to go and do something about it was a very productive time for Nehemiah. And we can learn so much from his example today for our own waiting periods. You know, when Nehemiah found himself in the waiting game, this waiting time, he didn't say, he could have been tempted to say this, but he didn't say, well, it's, it's not happening as soon as I think it should. Oh, well, I just, oh, well. Nothing I can do about it. Over here, Lord, I'm all the way over in this province of Persia. Miles and miles, like 800 miles away, Lord. What do you expect me to do? No, he didn't get depressed. He didn't get frustrated. He didn't get discouraged. He didn't get distracted. He didn't let the vision that God birthed in his heart to die off. No, he used his time very wisely. And he used his time of waiting to prepare for that time and day when God said, okay, let's go. Now's the time. Let's get it done, okay? You see, gang, this is something so important for us to see. I often tell people all the time, the hardest part of faith is waiting. It's the hardest part of faith is just simply waiting, okay? But these waiting times are trusting times. They're character-building times. These are times when we prove our commitment to the vision, the burden that God has placed on our hearts. These are developing times and times of preparation. We see it all throughout the Bible. God prepared people before he really used people, okay? And so with this in mind, I want us to examine five actions. Everyone say five. Five, not ten, just five actions we can learn from Nehemiah that can help us as well. We find ourselves in this waiting game, waiting for God to fulfill the vision he's placed on our hearts, waiting for God to say, let's go, let's do it, okay? Number one, we got to feel the need. We must feel the need. The first part of verse four that we read says that Nehemiah, he wept and mourned for days when he heard about the condition of his national city. He wept and mourned for days. And I've talked about that a little bit more in detail in, in the previous messages. But he recognized the need of the people and the horrible situation they were in down in Jerusalem. And he was a broken man because of it. His heart was broken. He saw the need in God's people and it affected him almost as if he was right there with them. Man, there's a saying that we should all remember. You can't heal what you don't feel. You, you can't heal what you don't feel. You can't help what you don't feel. And so often, gang, I think we have become in our instant society, instant gratification, okay? Instant pleasing me, instant, you know, I get what I want, 
when I want, if I need something, I just go down the street, CVS, Walmart, HEB, Walgreens, wherever, and I get it immediately, okay? But so often I think we become so calloused when we hear or read of a tragedy or a need or something. You know, we watch the news, see the tweets, hear the reports, yet we aren't really moved. We don't really feel it because it, doesn't, it didn't happen to us. We weren't there. Have you, have you ever been there? I have. I had to repent over my callous attitude before. Um, uh, uh, and they must be going through a horrible thing. Oh, my goodness. God bless them. But, but it didn't really move me because it doesn't affect me. I'm doing okay. Sometimes, gang, if we're not careful, even as believers, we can get callous to other people's needs, all right? I feel that empathy is missing in many believers' lives today. We come in, we come on a Sunday, we get our worship on, we hear a message spoken, we feel good, we get the warm fuzzies, you know, get that spiritual tickling, we're like, okay, we did church, now let's go live the rest of our lives and let's, let's you know, care with our own lives and stuff like that, but but we fail to empathize with others. What we see in Nehemiah, when he wept and mourned for days, he's empathizing. It's like he's there, he feels the need. And sadly, so many of us only care about old numero uno. Number one, me, myself, and I. I know there's three there, but it's talking about one, okay? They only care about themselves. They're just preoccupied with their own need. Let me ask you, do you hurt when others hurt? Do you cry when they cry? Do you feel their pain? Not because what's going on in their life is happening to you, but, but because you're, you're, you're with them, you're carrying the burden with them, you're caring for them, you're praying for them. Gang, this is a biblical mandate that we all have to carry each other's burdens. The Apostle Paul writes about this in the New Testament, Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. He says, carry one another's burdens. And he also writes that in that verse that when we do this, guess what? We are fulfilling the law of Christ. Bam! That's huge. Not only does he write, hey, you need to carry each other's burdens, but he shows the importance of it. When you empathize, when you cry with someone, when you come along with somebody and, and you carry the burden with them, or you feel the need, all right? And you say, hey, how can I help you? How can I pray with you? How can I assist you? What can I do? You are fulfilling the law of Christ. Come on, man. So do you pray when others are hurting? Or, or, or do you have a, a vision for that because you feel a heavy burden for them, your spouse, your kids, your church, your job, your community, wherever, whatever God's placed on your heart, Okay. What are you doing to help them and fulfill the vision God's given you? Here's a good example. On September 25th, 2008, yesterday, okay? It feels like that, right? (laughs) Megan, my wife Megan, she's over in Oso Kids. Her grandmother finished this earthly walk and started her new life with Christ in eternity, okay? And although it affected me because, you know, I was family by marriage, And I had gotten to know Marjorie, all right, her grandma. What really concerned me was the fact that it was hard on my wife, Megan, because she grew up with her grandma. She went to her house. 
She was held and hugged by her grandma. She was prayed over by her grandma. She had a great relationship with her grandmother, okay? I felt Megan's emotional need. I could understand and mourn with her. I could help her through that time. For instance, as a nurse, she had to work. She didn't really have time off to take off. You know what that means, okay? And, and, but they were having like a big dinner and stuff with all the family and she waffled whether to call in or not and she couldn't decide due to the emotions of the moment, the situation. She didn't have time off. She was afraid to call off. But it was easy for me and I said, call in. Don't go to work. Grieve and mourn with your family. So I came along her. Came alongside of her. I could mourn with her because I felt the need, all right? The Apostle Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, verse 34, I love these words of Paul. Instead of being motivated by selfish ambition or vanity, <laughs> each of you should, in humility, be moved to treat one another as more important than yourself. Dude, that's a good marriage tip right there. Hello, hello? Either amen or oh me, what, or oh my? Okay, wow, all right. Each of you should be concerned not only about your own interest, but the interest of others as well. You talk about a punch in the gut. Woo! That's truth right there. That's counterculture, right? Nehemiah felt the need of the people. You can't heal what you don't feel, all right? Get this, gang. Nehemiah was called to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. But first, he wept over the ruins, all right? But as he wept, he knew that the Lord was working behind the scenes. He knew that the Lord would bring comfort into their situation. Why? Because the Hebrew name Nehemiah literally means the Lord is my comfort. <laughs> That's so cool. So Nehemiah knew God was working. Number two, gang, number two. We must, and I love this one, I love it. Realize that it's too big for us, but not too big for our God. Woo! Amen, right? And we see this in the second half of verse four. We see that Nehemiah was continually in praying and fasting before the God of heaven. I mean, this situation was a, a, a monumental task for just one man. It was a huge burden, and he knew that he would need the help of the Lord. Listen, your God-given vision or mission in life, whatever it is, how big or whether how small, it should seem impossible for you to accomplish on your own. Let me just drop that truth right there on you and take a sip of our good brew this morning of this Hope Coffee Blend. It should be impossible for you to accomplish on your own. Whether it's because of lack of finances or lack of talent, lack of ability, lack of knowledge or skill, lack of help, lack of opportunity, lack of timing, whatever the issue is, it just seems impossible for you to do. It's way out of reach. It's way beyond expectation, all right? And, and, and you may think yourself to be crazy. Others may have told you, dude, you are crazy for thinking this or dreaming this. That, the task appears out of reach. That's because it's going to be. Because a God-birth vision is always too big for us to handle. It's going to be, okay? Which is why our vision cannot be accomplished without God's intervention. Otherwise, it's not a vision from God, okay? 
Why? Why would it be this way? Here's why. Because if we were capable of fulfilling the vision in our own merits and our own efforts and our own skill, our own talents, our own ability, our own work, guess who would get the credit? Woo! Yay! Clap for me, you know? We would, right? We would run around saying, look what I did. See what I accomplished. See how I helped them out. Check out this great guy, you know what I mean? I'm so full of skill and talent and ability. Look what I can do, you know. We would get puffed up. We'd become conceited, man. That's one reason why I love what Christ did for us on the cross. And that we cannot make it to heaven by our own efforts, our own works, our striving, being good little people. (laughs) We can't get there on our own morality. Uh Uh-uh. We're saved by grace through faith, Paul writes, because of Jesus Christ, only by coming to him. Otherwise, we'd all be in heaven going, what did you do to get here? What did you do to get here? What did you do to get here? I love one of my favorite preachers. His name is Alistair Begg. Dude, he's the best. So good, so solid. And there's a reel going around on Instagram where he's talking to the convention, and and he's talking about how the, the, the... the thief on the cross made it to heaven and the angels are like, dude, how did you get here? You know, you don't know about the Bible. You don't know about the doctrine of sanctification or justification. You know, you didn't do it. How did, and he goes, I don't know. All I know is the, the guy on the middle cross said I can come. Woo! That's it. That's, that's the beauty of that. So that we can both, even in the, the, the New Testament writers talking about how we're not gonna be able to boast and brag about what we didn't know. We're gonna boast on Christ. It's the same principle here, gang. Now, God, God is going to give you a vision that can only be accomplished by him intervening, by him helping you, by him even doing the miraculous. He will intervene. He will make the timing right. He will bring the money and the resources. He'll bring others along in agreement with you to help. He will help you find the right resources. He'll give you and help you find the right knowledge and talent and ability, the skills, the education. He'll bring about the right opportunity. He'll move things around for you so that you don't get the credit. He will get the credit. So that God will get all the credit. He'll get all the praise. He'll get all the glory. He'll get all the accolades. Praise the Lord. I went to a pastor's convention in Arizona once, and I heard a pastor say that, you know, God gives the vision, and it's always going to be bigger than you can handle. And in the middle between you and the vision is called the miracle zone, (laughs) where God comes in and bam, he does the miraculous. And so at a pastor's convention, he actually encouraged all the pastors to go back home and start praying for problems and things that were way bigger than we could handle, all right? Because that's when God comes in and does the miraculous. And that's the truth, gang. That's the truth. You see, the waiting time is when God is working behind the scenes, moving people and moving things into position to accomplish his goals in your life. And we forget this truth a lot of the time because we can't see behind the scenes. We can't see what's going on other than just right here in front of us. That's why we sit there and go, where are you, God? I don't see you moving. I don't feel you moving. You placed this on my heart three years ago, Lord. What's going on? God's working. He's doing it, okay? 
Look at Nehemiah. I mean, let's look at his life. God had been working in his life for years behind the scenes. Nehemiah was a Jewish male, a Jewish male born in the foreign land of Babylon. He was literally a foreigner, yet God helped him move up through the ranks of influential officials in a Persian court to get to the lofty position as cupbearer for the king. So then at the right time, at the right place, and we'll see as this series goes, goes on, it would be easy for Nehemiah to get the favor and the position and the resources that would be needed to rebuild the gates and rebuild the walls of the Jerusalem. And all these resources would come from the king, okay? And God could fulfill a vision that he birthed in Nehemiah's heart for his people. God was clearly working all throughout our boy Nehemiah's life. All the time, all the time. And he is positioning Nehemiah for the proper time and the proper place for God to say, let's go get it done, okay? Nehemiah didn't see all that. I mean, we can see it and we, we know how it all turns out because we have God's word. And hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? How many would say, it's right, it's twenty twenty. it's crystal clear. How many times in your life you look back and say, oh God, you were working all the time, <laughs> I get it. Oh, man, I was so silly, Lord. You know, I should have, I should have known. <laughs> Why did I put myself through pain and anguish, you know, worrying about No, just kidding. Yeah, we can look back and see how God was moving and God was shaking as we look, as he pulls us out of that. But our, 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 our foresight can be fuzzy. Looking into it, sometimes when we look into the future, it can be look like, uh, you know, if I... I grab somebody's glasses. I'm looking out there to see anybody has glasses. I don't see, man, you guys are all great. Okay. Well, Mark's got glasses, you know. I guarantee you if I put Mark's glasses on, I, I don't have his prescription. Am I going to see crystal clear? No. What's it going to be like? How many of you put on glasses you didn't have a prescription for, right? Or those, anybody ever in school, you put on those glasses and make it look like you're a drunk driver? You know, you're, you know it's all fuzzy and it's all crazy, right? Okay. There's no definition that a lot of times as believers that when we look at our future, that's what it's like. It's like fuzzy, cloudy with real, no, no real definition. But if we apply Matthew 6, to our lives and seek God's kingdom first and realize that God is moving and that where God has us currently, he has us there for, for a God purpose and we realize it's all about God and that he will get the glory. That's the waiting period. That's the right attitude. We may not see it yet, but that's why the waiting time is actually a faith time. The waiting time is actually a faith time. A faith time. If we're seeking his kingdom first where we are, then, then where we are is where he's positioned us. Like Nehemiah, we may not see it yet. We, we may not make the connection between our, our situation and our vision, but it will come together. So we, we're called to stay sensitive, keep feeling the need of others because God is working behind the scenes and it's bigger than you and God gets all the credit. There's a popular saying and it goes like this. I know you've heard this, you've probably said it, but guess what? It's totally wrong. <laughs> God will not give you more than you can handle. How many have heard that phrase? Okay. That's wrong. <laughs> um, yes, he does give us more than we can handle. It's on purpose. Because when there's more than we can handle, that's where faith comes to play. 
That's where our trust in God comes to play. That's where we learn to depend upon the Lord. Because if he gave us what we could handle, guess what? We'd be like, look how I handled that. <laughs> you know? Uh-uh. We get no glory or praise. Actually, we're pathetic. The Bible says that none of us are righteous. No, not one. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God is awesome. And he is great. And he is big. And he is marvelous. Amen? Amen. And our dependence is upon him. And when he puts on, when he allows more than we can handle, that's when we run to him, to a great big God who loves us so much and cares for us so much, who's working things out for our good. And we depend upon him. And that leads to the third action. And the last one that we'll actually talk about this morning, because I know a lot of you are looking at your clocks. Um, Just kidding. We must develop our dependence upon God. This is so important. This is so important during the waiting game. This is a key element. This is a key truth. We must develop our dependence on God. We see this in the second half of verse four, all the way through the first part of Nehemiah's prayer to God, which is the first half of verse six. He prays in verse six, hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants. Why was he praying day and night? Because he's depending upon God. The task is too big for him and he feels the need of his people. So he depends upon God. And there's no doubt we would prefer having a vision that we could handle ourselves, things that we could do on our own. We would like to fix it. We would like to make it better. We would like to do it on our own, right? In fact, our natural reaction when encountered with a situation is to think, what am I going to do about this? How am I going to accomplish this? That may be our first natural reaction, but that's not what God wants. He wants us to depend upon him. With God, the what always precedes the how. The what always precedes the how. You you will know what God has put on your heart before you figure out how God's going to bring it about. And the waiting period is truly that time between the what and the how. But sadly, do you know what the waiting period is for many people? Sadly, the waiting time is a vision killer. Because we never give God time to move us from the what to the how. And a lot of times we might give up before the how is ever revealed, before we allow God to move in his time for his purposes. So what we have to do, gang, is to depend upon God during this time. Dude, and that's hard sometimes. That's faith. And sometimes it stretches our faith, but we grow in the process. You see, divine vision requires divine intervention. And the how is typically a problem for us. But listen, gang, take good news. The how is no problem to God. He doesn't place something on our heart, give us a vision for, for whatever that might be in our life and say, uh-oh, um, I forgot how that's gonna happen. <laughs> God's on to him going, oh man, I, I know I placed that in your heart, but I just, I just don't know about that, man. No, no, God has it all planned out from conception to the very ending. He, he already has it all figured out. And in that middle area of the what and how, our job is to depend upon him. Our job is to trust in him. 
Trust Jesus. Remember all those signs that were all over the place? That's our job. It's not our job to try to figure out how God's going to do it, how God's going to pull this. God, how are you going to pull this off? (laughs) Our job is just to depend upon him. That's what the waiting period's all about. We're responsible to stay focused on God's will and our God-given vision and, and just to put our trust in him and to not give up and to hang in there until he brings it to pass. We're only responsible to do what we know to do, what we can do, and then to depend upon God for the rest right where we are, right where we are. We have to do our part where we currently are. And I talked about this three weeks ago, where he has us in these moments and stay faithful. Stay faithful where God has you. Be like David. He's gonna be the king of Israel, but God was preparing him out in the field as a shepherd. And when the prophet came to anoint the next king, he looked at all of Jesse's sons and God's like, you know, not this one, not this one, not this one, not this one. And so Samuel the prophet asked Jesse, dude, is this all your boys? No, no, the youngest, David, is out faithfully being a shepherd, doing the little job. God said, that's him. That's the one. He's gonna be the next king of Israel. Guys, where God has you in the waiting time, depend upon him and stay faithful. Jake, if you wanna come up now, that'd be great. You gotta stay faithful to him every day right where he has you. Listen, success is determined by your everyday faithfulness to God. That's success. Your success is determined by your everyday faithfulness to God. You see, in light of this God birth vision, our daily faithfulness takes on new meaning. Sure, our vision, you know, can be accomplished from our ability, but it can't be accomplished apart from our faithfulness from God. For example, as a parent, grandparent, and I'm almost done, just hang with me. <laughs> the vision we have for our children is to see them grow into responsible adults, right? Who are carrying out God's will for their lives and whom you know, we can enjoy an adult relationship with and they're serving the Lord and, and they're living for the Lord, okay? Do we have to wait until our children are fulfilling every, ver- every part of that vision in order for it to be a success? No. Every day of successful, faithful, you know, responsible parenting is a success. Every day you set your expectations for your kids, such as doing their chores, coming to church, yeah? Going to uh, Oso Kids, going to a youth group, right? Maybe such as keeping a godly attitude, doing well in school. And, and you require they do these kinds of things or they you know, suffer the natural consequences, okay? But also you pray with your kiddos. You read the word to them. You, you teach them how to love God and to love people. You teach them to live for him and you are a good example to them. Listen, when you're faithful in these types of things, you've had a very successful day of parenting, Right? In the little everyday things, you're faithful. You know, I talked about, you know, our call to be a lead pastor. I didn't want to be a lead pastor years ago. I, I fought, my dad's a lead pastor. And I saw, you know, no offense people, but yes, my dad, I saw how, you know, people treated him. And, you know, you guys are awesome though, okay? Just, just saying. <laughs> don't, don't take any, anything from this. But, but I, I saw, you know, how he had to deal with, with the yuck and people. And oftentimes people said ministry would be easy if they just didn't deal with people, you know? But, 
but ministry is people. No, I love, and I love you guys. You're awesome. Um, did I say that already? But uh, please, play behind me. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just, it's getting awkward up here. Y'all are staring at me. I see you online. No, but I fought with it, and I wrestled with it. And, and finally, one day in New Mexico, as I, I got to preach on a Sunday night, I felt just this overwhelming. And me and Megan had been feeling the tug of God. He placed that vision and burden in our hearts. But we were like, no, no, Lord, no. We're not going to do it. We're comfortable here. We like it here. We like what we're doing. Megan was the children's pastor of like 80 to 100 kids. I was leading a huge band, worship band, choir of like 35 people, associate pastors over life group, helping you, all kinds of, we we're having so much fun. I'm like, God, you're going to, call us to lead pastor. I don't want to do that. I spent 20 something years. I didn't want to do that. Finally, I went home and I dropped to my knees because the burden was so heavy. And we went home that night. I, I, I didn't even wait for Megan and, and my two older girls to get out of the car. I, I rushed home. I opened the garage door, went in. Our bedroom was right there. I didn't even turn on the lights. I hit my knees. I said, okay, Lord, I surrender to this. This vision you're giving me, the burden I don't want to do it, but if you open the door, then I'll step through it and become a lead pastor. It didn't happen the next day. It didn't happen the next week. It didn't happen the next month. It didn't happen the next month. It didn't happen within that year. It didn't happen the next year. It didn't even happen three years later. But you know what we did during those three years? We waited. We prayed. We depended upon God. We allowed him to develop us. God did some awesome things in preparation. He had to take, he had to get rid of a bunch of junk that I had built up so that I could be a pastor, a lead pastor. He had to develop me and Megan had to help us grow, but we were faithful every day during that three-year period. I went to the lead pastor, uh, my mentor, and I said, hey, this is what God's called me to do, but until he opens that door, we're gonna faithfully serve right here where we are. So we moved to New, Ma- we, New Mexico. We moved to Northern Kentucky. Oh my, we gotta go. Sorry. When we got there, that's way away from Megan's family. God told Megan that he would return her back to her people. <laughs> that didn't happen for 13 years. 13 years of her waiting and waiting and praying and praying. But you know what she did? She served faithfully where she was. She served the Lord, led the women, led children, helped out in youth groups. She would preach. She would speak. She would teach. God grew her and developed and and is just awesome. Every day of staying faithful to the vision is a day of success. Once God puts something in our hearts, you know, we, we lock into what he's called us to do. We stay faithful to that. And we're faithful right where he has us in this waiting and depend upon him and let him develop us and prepare us to the right time. The how of vision is God's specialty. It's the last thing I want to say. The how of vision of God's specialty. Listen, he knows how to reach your spouse, thus help your marriage. He knows how to save your marriage. He knows how to cause your unsaved family members or your friends to wake up and turn their hearts to him. He knows how to help you with your business. He knows how to help you start a business. He knows how to help you find the job. He knows how to help you heal over hurt and wounds that you've experienced. 
He knows how to make the timing right to provide the right resources. He knows how to provide protection and shelter to to help you in your ministry. He knows how to help you overcome an addiction or a sin in your life. He knows how to help you find the right mate. He knows how to help you in school. He knows how to help you leave, you know, to find a new career. God knows how, gang. So oftentimes we want to try to grab a hold of how and make it happen ourselves and then we get all messed up. Wait on God. Depend upon God. Depend upon God. God knows how to fulfill whatever vision he has given you. If you believe that, raise your hand and say, I believe. Some of you said it, but you didn't raise your hand, so you didn't count. Just kidding. That's all right. Depend on God. Guys, the waiting period is important. Don't don't second guess it. Don't, Don't dismiss it. No, depend upon God. Depend upon God. Because if he gave you the what, he'll develop you as we depend on him and he'll bring about the how. So the fourth thing, and we'll talk about this next week, it's the fourth must is a very important one. We must develop our prayer. Next week, we're gonna unpack Nehemiah's prayer. And we're gonna learn how he prayed. It's a great guide for us while we might be in the waiting period. That's verses five through 11. And then the fifth action we'll talk about too is we must develop a plan. Develop a plan. But, but this morning, you know, ask yourself, am I, waiting t- am I in a waiting time right now? Am I sensitive to the needs around, of those around me? Am I staying faithful to the Lord in, in my job or in my family or, 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 or wherever I am as I grow in my dependence on him? Am I praying and listening to what God's telling me? Am I developing? Am I doing all that I, that I can? For you, Lord, in your grace and with your help, God, am I truly dependent on you? Am I allowing you to move in my heart and my life? Lord, I just pray for everyone that's here this morning and those that are watching online. God, I recognize many are probably in a a waiting game or a waiting time in their lives. God, give them strength. Rebuke the enemy from them so they don't grow despondent or discouraged. But teach us to wait, Lord, and just to trust in you and depend upon you in Jesus' name. Bless us, Lord. Bless this people. Bless them right now, God. Right where they are. God, right where they are. Right where you've got each one of us. God, let us stay faithful to you. Faithful to what you've called us to. In Jesus' name, amen.